Cheers. 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 Something with like high viscosity, it's like you're being dipped into like dark blue heat. Like that's what I think about when I write music. Welcome to Pour Me a Mozart. My name is Asia and I have my co-host Patty here and we are joined by Sarah McDonald. So Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Sarah. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I'm like a composer, band leader, arranger, singer, French horn player sometimes. And that's about it. I didn't know you played French horn. That's cool. I I do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So Patty and I met Sarah through her Midwest tour with the New York Chill Harmonic. Um, So we got to play her music back in December. And I'm just so excited to share your music and also to get to know a little bit more about you because it's always such like a fast paced thing. Um, The whole day just kind of goes by in a blur. But um, since this is Pour Me a Mozart, I wanted to talk about what we're drinking today. So in honor of you, Sarah, we are drinking Aperol Spritz and you are drinking just some white wine. I forgot to pick up Aperol Spritz stuff and then I thought about it like (laughs) seconds before I got on. But don't worry, I drink them all the time. So I'm here. (laughs) We were really worried that you didn't. I always considered Aperol Spritz to be sort of a summer drink to me or I just Mm -hmm. love drinking them in the summer. So this is kind of like putting me in a great spot because this is going to be my first Aperol spritz of the season so no oh I I drink them year long see I don't know why I limit myself (laughs) yeah yeah I should just I know (laughs) yeah it's a really good breakfast drink no I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) well there's orange in it you know so if you get some vitamins there's orange yeah it's like juice it's really low alcohol it's totally fine yeah (laughs) I'm kidding Um, I'm kidding (laughs) yeah, yeah I mean do what you want um yeah so I picked up this bottle of Aperol and I just wanted to point out that in the past, I think there had been a recipe on the back. I don't know how well you can see this, but cool. now it gives you this like color gauge of the perfect Aperol spritz. Interesting. So I just love that they're like, no, no, yes. Yeah. Did I nail wow. it? Wait a second. Cause mine doesn't, oh, no. my bottle is the old bottle. Okay. And it gives you the So recipe. you don't have the Well, I have a QR code here. So you Oh, you have to scan some... it for the recipe. But did I get the color? I can't tell cuz you have the the I don't know. What I do th- you think? Pretty maybe close. I'm a little too orange. Yeah. Maybe I'm well, maybe if I just keep drinking, it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, that works. <laughs> or like prosecco or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really hard to tell um cuz the like the liqueur in the bottle is just so vibrant. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. really, I think I'm close, um, but I was actually, I didn't do it properly. I don't have just plain soda. So an Aperol spritz is supposed to be Aperol, Prosecco and soda. So I put mm-hmm. a tangerine flavored LaCroix in there because that's okay. what I had. 
It's yeah. better than cucumber and mint, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. And it's equal parts Aperol and equal parts Prosecco and a splash of soda water. And oh, I'm is like, it? Mm -hmm. At least that's what my bottle says. So. Oh, yeah. that's not mm -hmm. how I did it. I just kind of guessed. I think it's fine. Sure. I think as long as it's all in there. Yeah. Dang, I really want an Aperol spritz now. I feel like. Oh, so next time you're yeah, in Twin Cities. Yeah, we'll get you one next time you come. Hell yeah, hopefully soon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So let's talk about your musical journey. Um, I think I already know this about you, but I'm not sure. But would you share your main <laughs> instrument with us? Any other instruments? Um, influential teachers? Sure. Wow. Um, I mean, I think at this point, it's hard to say what my main instrument. I mean, like I sang all the time. So I guess like that's probably what I should say it is. But um, I started out on piano. I still play piano. And then I started playing French horn. I was like really serious about it for a long time through high school and then into college. And then for some reason, I went to jazz school. So um, trajectory and like I still play those things. I don't play French horn that much anymore, but like the random Easter gig recording sessions, stuff like that. Um, yeah. And then teachers, that's a tricky one. I mean, school was so fast and I didn't, I haven't really like studied with anyone outside of that. And I graduated from college like 10 years ago now. So, um, which makes me feel so ancient, but, um, I had a couple teachers that I really loved. I studied with Peter Eldridge of the New York voices up at MSM. The nice thing about the new school is that where I went to uh, my undergrad is that you don't have to just study with people there on on faculty it's like everyone is adjunct so if you request a teacher like they'll just hook it up for you oh that's cool like you're giving wow a, yeah so like that was like a really nice so i didn't really actually study with anybody at the new school i think i studied i did a couple lessons like composition and arranging lessons with um this teacher kirk newrock um who's still there i think and but most of my lessons were with teachers at msm so like one of them you have to give like at least six credits to one person and then you can like split the other three however you want to do that or you can give all 12 to somebody so that was nice that was like the a big plus a big bonus of going to new school for jazz um yeah and those i love those teachers and i also had a couple classes that i really liked i studied with ingrid jensen the trumpet player um she did my electric miles ensemble which was like very informative for me and then uh jane ira bloom who is a soprano sax teacher she did um this ensemble called linear comp and you had to like write a song every week and improvise and stuff like that which was also really big for me so honestly like most of my teachers in the end weren't voice teachers right they weren't hmm. even necessarily composition teachers they were just teachers <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's so important um the cross-discipline relationships in music and even outside of music to mm -hmm. everything everything informs everything else it totally does yeah um what is your favorite instrument that you don't play i always wanted to play cello and my parents wouldn't let me i'm still really i'm still really like bent out of shape about it i remember because my, my mom's a horn player and so she was like she was like it's pretty much the same like the way that she sold it to me was like the french horn and the cello is the same and it's like range wise yes but i didn't understand that when i was like nine you know right so she like totally gaslit me and i was like if i play the french horn i will just magically know how to play the cello like, obviously <laughs> it's not how that works and no. I, I was so upset. yeah they just like they weren't I mean, my parents are both classical musicians so they were like we're not going to rent her a fucking cello like we have instruments in the house like she can play one of those <laughs> so right that was it 
and yeah, it's like, I didn't really have a choice. So I played piano and I played French horn and that was it. But yeah, I'm still, I wish I just knew more about string instruments. Like, obviously you both have played my charts. Like, I don't know enough. Um, <laughs> like, I don't think that's true. I, oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. But um, just like how to arrange better for strings. I've done some string arrangements for people now and like I freelance arrange all the time. But um, yeah, just like, I wish that I played them. I still wish I played cello. It is a badass instrument. Um, it would be pretty I sweet, kinda, though. I, oh, sorry to interrupt. It would be pretty sweet, though, oh, if, no, there, if there was some kind of telepathy between cello and French horn, because then I could play French horn magically. And, <laughs> you know, that'd be awesome. But, yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I guess, yes, technically they are in, like, the same yeah. range, sort of. But, like, yeah. thanks a lot, Mom. Um, yeah. <laughs> And also playing the French horn is like the short end of the stick. Like I would be getting the magical, like <laughs> until it's like, I can just magically play cello. And then it's like, you're just stuck playing French, French horn. <laughs> but it is a beautiful instrument. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. yeah. It is when played well, which is, you know, hard. Yeah. <laughs> really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. And horn gets some of the coolest parts in orchestra. Also some of the most totally. boring. <laughs> Right. It's like in a band, you're just playing like upbeats. And mm -hmm. then in orchestra, it's like, depending on the composer, it's like, I think it is the most cinematic instrument. I do love the French horn. Every time I hear the French horn, like I'm turning my mom down, like French horn. It's like when you have to like point out horses on the highway, it's like the same thing for me in recordings. There are the horns. Um, such a nerdy thing to say, but <laughs> I love and, it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> just like getting old and senile. But um yeah, I do love them. And like, I love like Mahler. I love, there's so many classical composers that I love listening to is like six horns, maybe even like eight horns or something. It's like really impactful. Like it's so beautiful. But then, you know, it's just like the horn is so finicky. It's like some days are amazing and it's just like playing it is beautiful. And then some days it just like shits in your hands. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's, you know, if it's not played well, it's awful. And like, I like for any parent that can sit through their kid learning to play the French horn, like that is just a test of patience. I remember like the first song I learned was Star Wars and I played it like I could didn't have any control over my embouchure. So I played really loud. Right. Like I was like the only play super loud. And our, I remember our neighbors were like, for the love of God, like if we have to hear the Star Wars theme coming through the walls, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Like, because <laughs> it's like all I can play. Um, yeah. So, I mean, love, hate, like love listening to it, playing it now, different feelings. Yeah, I feel that a little bit. I'm a, a recovered trumpet player. Um, we didn't have an orchestra <laughs> in my high school, so I played through middle school and high school. And I like the trumpet. I don't particularly enjoy playing it. Like, it's just the sensation of it on my mouth, and I didn't practice as much, so my embouchure was terrible. Um, yeah, I feel that hard i didn't like the trumpet either because you can like they're kind of interchangeable to an extent but it's that mouthpiece i always hated like it just didn't didn't feel right to me so i get it yeah i will say the horn is much more difficult <laughs> it's that freaking overtone series yeah, yeah. really just mm -hmm. does yeah that we so hard. in band when we had a sub we would switch instruments and <laughs> i played the horn one time and i just like i knew if you like held down the thumb key, all the fingerings were the same, but I just could not get in the right partial at all. Oh yeah. That's really, even now, like if I don't play for a long time, it's just like, you have, cause you kind of have to hear every note before you play it. And it's mm -hmm. like, if you get on the wrong partial, it's like everything, you know, not that that happens. Like I know when it's happening now, but as kids, it's just like, you could be playing five different notes. They, they have no idea, you know, right. especially on a single, oh my God. 
terrifying. Yeah. It's like the sound of a dying animal. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's really um, yeah, so that was the French horn segment of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I did have I did have one small question. When you went to the new school, could you remind me? Was it it wasn't in French horn performance, right? It was in um, vocal. like vocal. Okay, gotcha. I was a vocal jazz major, but honestly, by so I actually transferred and I went to Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin, for a year. Um, so I kind of like panicked. I didn't get into my dream school. I applied to like 11 schools and the only school that rejected me was Northwestern, which is where I wanted to go. Um, right. and yeah, so I was like, I'll go to Lawrence and I'll transfer to Northwestern. And then like everything shifted and I wanted to go into the new school. But, um, yeah. So by the time I got in, it was like, I only did three years at new school because most of my credits transferred over. So I really had like one year, like I did my, I can't remember what it's called that sophomore, like test out of placement thing. I can't remember what it is. So I like passed out of a bunch of classes and then basically didn't really, I took maybe some voice lessons my junior year and then kind of just did whatever my senior year. They didn't really care at that point. So I don't really remember what your question was. Oh, just oh, yeah, like what your going. major was. But in some oh, ways, it, it seems like it's a blessing in disguise because it landed you in New York City, which is such a hub for music and getting yourself off the ground a bit, right? Established in yeah for sure i didn't think i would ever wind up in new york i i don't know i just figured i would probably live overseas again because my parents were in the military so i moved all the time so i, I just assumed i'd wind up in europe um and that i wouldn't live in the states gotcha. in so yeah so the fact that i'm still here 13 years later still blows my mind because new york was like never a dream but um yeah i definitely i'm, I'm glad that this is what worked out you know yeah. it makes sense now is it okay can I ask what it's what what it is like to start a career in New York City or what the scene is kind of like free like I don't know if it's necessarily freelancing but just sort of getting your mm -hmm. name out there and that kind of networking. Sure, I mean, you know, I have a remote day job so it's I, it's a little bit different for me and I I don't teach. I really hate teaching. <laughs> Sorry to say. I did for a long time I would teach piano lessons. There's a period of time where I was like that was my main source of income and then gigging. Um but I switched over to to management and marketing. Um in the arts, it's I don't work, you know, I still work with like artists, but um yeah, it's it's weird. I remember in the beginning, like getting out of school, just thinking like, how am I going to make money to support myself? Cause I was on, you know, tuition paid scholarship when I was at school and I always worked like weekend jobs and stuff like that, you know, so I always had a little bit of income, but now it was like, how am I going to survive? And, um, I knew that I, you know, I was like a side person in a bunch of projects for a while while like doing my own thing, but then stuck with the New York chill, like really, that's when I really started to like, take it seriously and kind of stopped doing other stuff. So it's like, I'll, I'll do freelance arranging, orchestrating stuff, or like I'll occasionally like sing or play with other groups, but it's the main focus is definitely this very, very expensive band. Because like, I'm not gonna lie, it's like, obviously I'm not making like tons and tons of money off my big band. And if I am, it's all going right back into the big band. So um, yeah, it's, it's weird. I think the important thing to remember with New York is that like, nobody really gives a shit about you because like everyone is doing their own thing. It's super oversaturated. Right. Uh, I think if I didn't live in New York, like I wouldn't be excited about touring in New York. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really like playing here that much. I like in the beginning we would play like once a month and we made it like everyone's young and it's like, you know, tickets were cheap and we we're all just like there to kind of party. And now it's like 
you know, I'm like, okay, I need to think about turning a profit and like bringing out a crowd. We're going to maybe play in the city two to three years, two to three times a year, like maximum. Right. You know, I really don't like, it needs to be like its own special thing. Um, I want to be on the road as much as possible. So um, it is, it's just tricky. It's like, how do you keep people interested? How do you keep people engaged? You know, you're up against so much competition every single night. It's like, a really quick reminder that there's so much going on is to just get on like do NYC, which is like an event blog. We have so many of those and it's like, or even just the listings on like Delhi mag or something. It's like 500 shows a night. You're just like, what am I going to do? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. And like, even, you know, like the artists that I've managed in the past who have like bigger names and bigger draws, like sometimes it's like, Oh, their hometown show is not selling that well. It's like, well, yeah, their hometown is New York. Like yeah. they're from like fucking Indiana. It's like, of course that shit's going to sell out, you right. know, but then like, right. And like, you know, and then it's like the big manager who like lives in LA is like, well, I don't understand like why it's not selling the best. And it's like, homie, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> on a daily night. Um, yes. So just, you know, keeping your expectations at bay and then also just being like, really, just, I'm just kind of like a pest. It's like, I just do everything that I possibly can. And like, you know, I also kind of work in marketing. So it's like, how do I market this show? Like, just making sure that it's on all blogs, putting a ton of money behind advertising and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. um, hanging flyers when, like when and if it seems appropriate for the show and just kind of like, I try to make every show be like a special thing because it's a giant band, I need to make money and like, I don't ever want to be in a position where there are more people on stage than in the audience. Like I right. just, I would simply pass away. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just, just, just like just go as hard as you possibly can it's like uh, everybody can just mute you if they don't like seeing what you're selling it's really easy yeah yeah well thanks for that insight mm-hmm. no i think that's really helpful for people to kind of understand what the grind is like and new york city is you know it's always romanticized with like frank sinatra and things like that and so it's like well it's not so easy you know like well frank was in the mob he had like mob money come on now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had, like the best yeah. pr team out there yeah, yeah, totally. I think, and I, you know, I think the important takeaway is like, if you think you're doing too much, like you're still not doing enough. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's what I try to remind myself. It's like, just keep going. Like just yeah. be as annoying as possible and like just find creative ways to like reach your audience as best as you possibly can. You know, mm-hmm. just like throw up a Facebook event is not going to do anything for anyone anymore. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't even like see those notifications anymore it's like this in one hour and I'm like what I know I feel like I'm like it's yeah I think especially with like COVID stuff and now people working remotely it's like I get that notification and I panic I'm like what am I supposed to be doing in an hour yeah yeah like I don't like yeah they just don't work anymore so yeah but people feel like I don't even make them for shows unless like a, a venue demands that I make one I'm like okay fine yeah <laughs> sure right, right I'm curious to know especially from both a performer and a writer's perspective there's a lot of pressure on women in general to look a certain way. And I was wondering how that pressure, like, I guess how you, how you experience that as a performer and is that different than how you experience it as a writer? Ooh. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts about this. There's definitely, I think like certain, and I have conversations with my friends about this while play different instruments and we're like strictly singers or whatever, you know, not that everyone expects this now, but it's like the jazz singer is like pretty and like entertaining and like wears a dress and like caters to the audience and to like, you know, the emotional needs of like the people in the audience, which is really bizarre. And then I think there is sort of like this stigma attached to like, if you're a writer or an arranger or an orchestrator, it's like this intellectualism 
I don't feel that way because I like I'm really like not trained in orchestrating and like composing and arranging. It's just something that I happen to be doing. But then there are people who do that or they're like on Broadway and it's like they're the orchestrator for these like, you know, shows that are winning whatever that award of oh, Tony's. Tony. There we go. And like winning, <laughs> winning, Tony's, winning Grammys and it's like, you know, that's like everyone treats them like they're some kind of savant, which like oh, so many of them are. Yes. But like, yeah, I think it's. For me, I just try to be myself. Like, I'm never going to put on, like, a dress and heels and get on stage. Like, I just, I'm too not coordinated enough <laughs> to stand in heels for that long. Um, and also just, like, it makes me uncomfortable. And I think when I was in jazz school, it was like, ugh, I don't know what it is with, like, vocal jazz programs and conservatories. It's like, I remember I had this class, and I feel really bad because the teacher, he was lovely and wonderful, and he is now deceased. So I, I don't want to speak ill of the dead ever, but... um he was great, but like the, the class itself was called Story, Song, and Stage. And I just like immediately, and it was a requirement for singers to take it. And I was like, this is bullshit. And it was bullshit. It was basically like a cabaret class. And I was like, I'm never going to have a cruise ship gig yeah. and like be up there like telling stories and doing this stuff. Like I'm not going to audition for like the Army Field Band where I'm like, this. I'm just singing like jazz standards all the time. Um, and it felt really insulting. And I remember complaining about it. And I was like, I don't understand like why I'm paying like, why is my tuition going towards this class when like I have zero interest in performing this way it's like why like stage presence is important for sure but why are we putting this bizarre emphasis just for the singers on like being this specific brand of entertaining um and I don't know if that class still exists anymore it was a long time ago but yeah I just you know I think if you're doing something that is natural and like honest, then your stage presence will be natural and honest. And if it's forced, like everyone is going to know that it's forced. So I think for me, like, you know, a lot has changed when I first started doing the big band stuff 10 years ago. Um, I really just like had a lot to prove and I wanted people to take me seriously. So desperately, you know, I'm like 23 and like, people are like, do you really write and arrange your own songs? You know, and every now and then I'll get a question like that. And I, I know it's not coming from this malicious place. It's just people like genuinely asking because they don't know. Um, and they see a big band and they assume that we're playing covers and like, we're not. And that to me felt like, okay, I'm supposed to be like, I think for me, I took that as like, I have to be the smart girl whatever that means, you know, like I'm 23 and I need people to take me seriously. So I need to seem like intellectual and like stimulating. And I need to like, see like, I don't take myself so seriously and like not be like hyper feminine, which is crazy. It's like, if I want to, you know, like I, I just am myself now, I don't worry about anything, but I think I've talked to some of my friends who are, who do feel like in general, they're, they are genderless, they're colors. Um, but, you know, like as a society, obviously we do these things and like we put people into boxes because it makes us more comfortable. So, you know, it's like, how do you how do you be taken seriously when you're like presenting yourself in a way, especially to like older generations of people that you're working with, that like do stigmatize these things like colors and clothes and stuff like that. And fortunately for me, it's like I'm not working as a side person, like I'm not on Broadway. I'm not like generally working with people who are like many decades older than me and stuff like that. Not that I'm saying older people are like clueless and not woke. I'm just saying, you know, those situations, whatever, you know what I'm trying to say. Well, there's um, tradition. I think that's what you're tradition. going for is like- Right, or mm -hmm. the, the, like young lady and stuff like that. It's like, I don't encounter that because I'm not in those environments. Um, right. And, you know, and I don't know how I would, and who knows, it's like, I we all present ourselves in different ways. So do you ever do, like, it seems like, you know, your pants were uncomfortable i'm like what is that what are you talking why are you looking at my pants while like i'm singing on stage like there's a keyboard in front of anyway just weird right. stuff like there's always like kind of like sexualized comments coming from 
people that shouldn't be making sexualized comments, not that anyone should, but um, yeah, I think at this point, I don't think about it too much. Like I'm just myself in the beginning. I definitely did. And especially when I was like touring overseas, like the first couple times and like, you know, I'd be playing these jazz clubs that like, again, like the tradition, it's like, oh, there's the singer. She needs to be like in a dress and like look really smart or whatever. And like, I would kind of play into that and do it. And I was uncomfortable, but I did it anyway. Um, yeah. And like, you know, I remember I was in Germany and I played this gig and I was just like being my self. Like I, I made some jokes or whatever. I wasn't being like super strict, like jazz singer, like the Webster's dictionary says that happiness, you know, whatever, just like stupid shit. And one of the guys came up to me afterward and he was like, do you always talk to your audience that way? And I was like, like what way? Like myself? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. it's a very long, <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? Um, long winded answer. I think now, no, how I present myself as a woman, I don't think about that with the band. It's like, either you like what I'm doing or you don't, you know, I try to think about like, shutting up which I'm not even doing right now I'm sorry um like don't talk too much like sometimes like if I've had a couple drinks and I'm on the bandstand like I'll just start rambling it's like trying to just sort of like taper what I say so it's like makes sense and like is concise and like is about what we're doing like that I'm more worried about like embarrassing myself just like with <laughs> the stupid things that, than like what I'm wearing or what people think about me you know yeah like physically yeah yeah. And to be clear, I asked you mm -hmm. on the podcast to have you talk. So like, you're good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the place. Yeah. yeah. I'm mostly, mostly worried about saying something embarrassing. Not so much worried about like, I don't know how I'm perceived as a woman. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, um, that's refreshing to hear. I, I guess I personally feel a little bit of that pressure. So I'm curious about others. Oh, I mean, I'm sure, I guess. I think if I were working in classical music, like how both of you probably are more frequently than anything else, I don't know. Like I, I would feel that pressure. And I think as a French horn player, I probably did. It's like be pretty and like wear a specific outfit and play the French horn and yeah. don't shit your pants. I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, I think that's a life rule <laughs> for everyone. I mean, it depends on what you're doing, but yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Where would that be appropriate? A marathon. I don't know. Oh, I guess. <laughs> depends depends anyway i'm sorry but yeah yeah i i think like i i'm privileged in that sense but i, I get that i think other people definitely string players i feel like a lot of my string player friends it's like especially if you're playing like a club gig or something it's like you need to look hot you need to be wearing like tight black dress heels makeup hair and it's just like i fortunately like i could just show up in my pajamas and nobody can tell me what to do because it's my band so yeah right yeah i guess i do feel like when I show up for an orchestra concert, I can't just like shower and blow dry my hair and put on some black clothes. Like that cannot be my process. Um, I need to shower and blow dry my hair and then like make sure it's styled and then put makeup on. And I feel like there is a certain perception of people who do spend more time getting ready like that, that they're better players. And it's like, well, actually, maybe if you did just shower and put on black clothes, you'd have more time to practice and you would be a better player but oh well yes. <laughs> I would love to say though like would anyone ever expect a man to do the same amount of prep work before walking on stage they just literally even probably don't even shower and walk on stage and just show up and be themselves and because no one's 
telling them how to dress. Or, I mean, I shouldn't be so harsh, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that <laughs> we're just pointing out a bit of a, you know, a sexist stigma of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely oh. gone on stage, like, not showered and no makeup, but it's like, it doesn't feel good to me. So. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's like the societal pressure is like there still somehow. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like I'm held to this invisible standard of femininity, whatever that means, you know? Yeah. So I actually it's jumped tough. the gun. I wanted to talk about your writing okay. process <laughs> and when you started writing music before we talk about the band. Yeah. Uh, writing songs. I feel like I actually started kind of late compared to other people. Um, like when I got to music school, it was just like, oh my God, I'm in music school. And then <laughs> it's like, how do I sing better? It was like, I suddenly I was surrounded by, you know, the prom queen of, of like, every, you know what I mean? It's like, everyone's just so talented and like so hardworking. And I was just trying to figure my shit out. So all of my band names have been puns. My first band name was Sarabond. Like nice. Sarabond Gavat. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Like, band. I know. <laughs> it could be like James a... Bond, but Sarah Bond, like that too. <laughs> if you that didn't know how to spell no. it. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of people like didn't understand. They didn't get it. So they'd be like Sarah Band. I'm like, sure. Pretty. I mean, like, yes, it's a plan. <laughs> but like, whatever. Um, and I remember like one of the first like horn concertos or something that I ever played was like Sarabon and Gavab. So I was like, I think I'm being so smart. Um, <laughs> so ridiculous. And then, yeah, so that was fun. That was like kind of, I remember at the time I was like really just finding, like figuring out new music and stuff like that. Like when I got to school, I think every music school like has an agenda. They have like a secret sub agenda. It's like, all right, so here's the jazz curriculum. And then like, here's the sub curriculum of like successful people that have come out of this program. And we're going to kind of just like slowly force it on you, which, which is not me like dissing anyone. It's just like, I think that's what happened. So like Becca Stevens came from new school and like, I remember like Snarky Puppy was like really blowing up around that time, like the mid 2010, early 2010s. So I was listening to a lot of that. And then like Tigran, can't say his last name correctly, Hamsayan, the pianist. Tigran, he's anyway, he's I mean, great. I guess he was at New School for like five seconds, but like obviously didn't need to stay because he's amazing. Um, and some some stuff like that. So that's what I was listening to a lot of. And then so that was like, I'm going to like have my own band, like Becca Stevens. And then and then I just started to like I kept adding stuff like I would kind of like, I you know, we did a recording session and I had like a cello player come in. He like played a solo. This EP still exists online. It's what it is but if you want to find it you can um and like I added strings and I started adding horns and then it was just like it just kept kind of like growing and accumulating and then it was like very strictly a rock band for a while and then it kind of fell apart and then that was right when I finished school and I remember I don't know I just like I was getting into like some really interesting stuff there was like this German rapper that I liked and he did an orchestral project. So it was like R&B, like orchestra, like hip hop. And I just thought it was so cool. And um, and I also had a friend who was like writing like kind of like modern big band stuff, not even like, not modern in like the very jazzy sense, but it was like kind of rocky. And I just thought it was interesting. So I was like, all right, what is the biggest ensemble that I think I could write for? Oh, that's right. I'm skipping stuff. I'm sorry. So then I, I was like, I'm going to go to grad school. And I like just arranged a couple of the songs I already had for just straight big band, you know, like regular, no strings. Um, and I applied to MSM and I did get in, but they didn't give me any money. So I didn't go like, thank God. 
<laughs> uh, they're like, it's a really good investment. I was like, yeah, I think that school is kind of notorious uh, for not really having a lot of scholarship for their students too. So yeah. Yeah. So didn't go kind of glad I didn't go. Cause I have no idea what it would have done to my writing. Um, and then I immediately went to Germany at the time I was dating a German dude, but then I eventually like developed all these crazy German connections, which I'll get into and recorded like a little big band EP. Um, and then I like won one of those like silly like ASCAP Young Jazz or Composer Awards, which at the time they give you like, like here's a thousand dollars, and you're like, oh my god, it's money. Um, right, 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 right. <laughs> you know. Um, and then that kind of I was like, okay, like cool, maybe I could like do more. I don't know. And then I like wrote some songs for the big band with strings. The band used to be much bigger. It was like actual, you know, like eighteen piece big band plus strings. So it was like twenty two people. Versus what it is now, which is just 18 people. Um, so not much. Just 18. <laughs> just 18. I just cut out some. So I, whatever. I started working with this techno big band in Germany called Jazz Rausch. Um, then they do, they've done like some classical programs that they've like reimagined and rearranged for techno. So they have like Bruckner's Breakdown. I think they did Beethoven's Breakdown. It's like techno realizations of like, which like orchestras love. In yeah, Germany. that sounds so, so like, fun which is so fun. And then like they, their own program as well, which is really cool. And so they've done like, you know, they do stuff with the Munich Phil, uh, Berlin Phil. Um, and that's been like really amazing. So I started working with them and their instrumentation is like pretty similar to what I have now. So they had like a tuba. And I remember I did a gig with them and I was like, this is sick. I need a tuba. So I got rid of two trombones and added a tuba. And then I was like, I don't need four trumpets. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> got rid of the, got rid of two trumpets got rid of a saxophone just because I felt like there were some redundancies in my writing. Like I don't write super complex, like dense harmonic stuff. I really don't like compared to other big band writers. So it was like, I don't need to have like all of these voices doubled. It's not necessary. Um, yeah. And then kept the strings because I love strings. I would have more, but it's, it's hard. Everyone's busy. So um, yeah. So I did that and then came back to the city and with my like, thousand dollars that I spent on rent so I didn't really have it I um, <laughs> it's so real though it is <laughs> I know I remember like someone confronted me like I heard you got like a huge grant for your music and I was like homie I got paid like literally a thousand dollars like what are you talking about he's like you, you must have money but I'm like no there's no money there's no money anywhere um and we did like a show and it was pretty bad because I was super nervous and like just hadn't led a big band like that before. You know, in high school, I like sang with the big band, but you know, it's like sing fever like 500 times and then leave. Um, yeah, so we did that show and then I was like, okay, maybe I'll keep it going. And it was like very slow to start. I definitely did not have my shit together, like in any sense of the word. Like I feel like, you know, now if I were going to come out with a project, it would be like very, very polished, but it was like a shit show just because of me. Like still kind of like trying to cater to the jazz whatever world and like I hadn't really like found like the rock thing yet and I just wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing you know or like what was right and like people were oh you know I'm so young I was like 23 24 and people are always like you can't do this you, you can't voice trombones that way you can't do this you can't do that it's like you know and and I just did whatever I wanted I'm glad that I did because it wound up working out but it was still a very long process it was like probably just like four or five years of just kind of making it work and we put out an album which i still like it was nice and i don't think like the voice of the ensemble was realized with that record quite yet either but um yeah and then i got 
kind of dark on it for a minute. This is like my entire trajectory of writing. I'm sorry. Um, no, this is great. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, and so then there was like a period of time where I felt that it kind of needed, it started, it needed to go into a different direction. And I started feeling a little bit weird about it. And I was like getting some other like opportunities just for myself. And like at this point, I didn't have money to like tour with people ever. I still kind of don't, but it is what it is. And I remember I was going overseas a lot and just working with the bands over there. And I was like, man, like they really have it together. Like they have a whole team. Obviously there's like far more funding for the arts in other countries, you know? And I just felt like, I was like, I really need to like reevaluate what it is that I'm trying to accomplish with this project. Um, so I kind of, we didn't play a show in the city for like a year or really at all. And I was kind of just trying to decide what I wanted to do. And then we like had like just gotten it back together. And that was when like we, I wrote Mean and that was about to come out and then it was COVID. <laughs> so, um, and we had like a bunch of stuff booked in 2020. I was like going to take Gosh. the band everywhere. And it just like blew up in my face. But um, as, as it did for everybody, which is fine. I think now I have a much better grasp on things. But um, yeah, it's just, it's such a long, weird process. And I think with a project this big, it's, you know, there are so many reasons to stop doing it. Like if I was a little bit more self-aware <laughs> or just like protective of my finances, I would have stopped a long time ago, but I just like it too much. I think it's well, fun. That was going to be a follow-up question of mine. How, like, how many times did you think that you might quit this, the band or end it? And, and then like, I, I think you just answered it because you said you like it too much, but what kind of kept you pushing forward and uh, persevering? um stubbornness I don't know <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah I don't know what's wrong with me um how many times do I think about quitting like in the last 10 minutes no just but, um... <laughs> well you know what I mean like I seriously have... debated yeah oh first I think that one I think it was like 2018 2019 I like really thought like I can't it's not gonna work and I don't know why or why I was like getting really dark on myself I think well, I kind of know I had just started like my first corporate booking job and like a lot of like the secrets of the industry had like revealed themselves to me. And I was like, man, like I'm first of all, I'm an idiot. Like I, I don't know how to book anything. Um, you know, there are so many projects out there that just like have their shit so together. It's like I really just did not have even like kind of the package that I can send people now. Um, and it was really eye opening. It was, I was working all the time. I was stressed. I didn't quite know how to like balance my schedule the way that I do now you know and again I was like what 26 at that point 27 something and just it and I think also feeling like then I was working in the corporate world with people who were like a few years younger than me and it just felt like oh like these people had it figured out like they learned how to make money before I did or whatever and I was just feeling like insecure in general yeah and then just working like a few things happened that year I went to Japan to work with this like student run, they're so organized. It's insane. The student run like big band society called KO Light Music Society, like kind of through the University of Tokyo, I think. And it was like, it's all them. It's like they fund it themselves. They like pull all of their money together, like do little fundraisers. And then they invite like composers over and they feature them and they like set up the rehearsals and they put the concert together to do all the marketing and they like pay for the hotels. And it's just like, I was so like touched by that because they do bring over like pretty heavy people. And then it was just me, <laughs> you know, just trying to have a good time. Um, and that was really inspiring. And those kids worked so hard. Oh my God. And I had like my own translator that came with me everywhere and everything. And she was so, you know, they're just like so sweet. They like brought me to the airport. I'm like so touched. Um, and I'm, I'm dying to go back, even though like most of them that I knew then are all graduated. So it's like only a student thing. Um, 
And then I went to Perth in Australia and did the jazz festival there just because I happened to know the director through like a mutual friend and went there. Oh my God, some of the best string players I've ever worked with in my life live in Perth, just FYI. Ooh. Like killing. It's like some quartet there and they just like, they just totally got it, which I feel like is, I feel the same way about Minnesota strings as well. Oh, just FYI. Don't but just say that because we're here. <laughs> no, I'm just like ready for the no, compliment and Patty's like. No, I was like, do you know how much I drank backstage? Like, <laughs> I mean, same. No, that's, that's spice. Um, yeah, and I remember the first time we played in Minnesota, like the guy, all the guys were like, Minnesota strings. And I was like, yeah, I know. Oh my God. Um, and so it's like kind of the back, you know, and then. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, like what the secret sauce is in certain places that just like make people like congeal and like it just works. And then sometimes it just like doesn't work and it's like the worst thing. I'm sorry, like out of tune strings is like, oh, just oh, no, rip bad. my heart. No, it's bad. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. I mean, well, out of tune yeah. orange, but yeah, out of tune anything. It's, oh. but there's something about like, I feel I don't know and I could be wrong I'm not trying to like diss it brings back no elementary school string vibes like it's no one wants to be there you know and there are just so many ways to miss a note on a string instrument I think that's like the biggest difference yeah yeah for sure what I was gonna say is I I mean at least I can speak to this pastime in Minnesota with with your show but that you know all four of us are good friends and we Mm -hmm. all uh, you know, relative, like we are friends outside and inside of the music. Yeah. So I think maybe that's maybe part of the secret sauce. I'm not sure what it's like in Perth, but oh. maybe there's the same, you know? Yeah, I think having a quartet versus just like four random people always makes a huge difference. It's like people that know how to play together and like tune to each other. Um, and I would always prefer to have that over anything else that's like, I don't. Yeah, I think to me, it's always like surprising. And maybe it's just like the classical mindset of like play everything that's on the page or like what you think is on the page. And it's like sometimes we'll have a sub even in New York and it's just like they're clearly playing the wrong note over and over and over again. And it's like they just won't check that accidental. And I'm just like, I'm like, how do you, first of all, I know you hear it and I know you know it's you. Like, just what are you doing? <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. yeah, like, oh my God, if I knew I was playing the wrong note, I wouldn't just like be like okay well i know i'm right i'm just gonna keep going it's like yeah well i think you just tapped into the violinist mentality it's like i'm right i'm gonna keep going (laughs) i'm gonna keep going yeah she's it's like a trombone (laughs) player did that but like all our ears would explode but um no yeah who knows everybody's different but um what was i gonna say yeah but i would say like you are you guys were so amazing to play with and like just sound great and know how to listen and play in tune which i really appreciate <laughs> well thank you it's such a fun <laughs> show to play like seriously oh. anytime yeah hopefully soon yeah that show felt really short for some reason in minnesota i don't know why it was like the last one and it just felt like yeah. it didn't even happen it was such a bummer and then we had to you know we just left the next day and i was like we didn't have any hang time which i was bummed about but next yeah. time next time um next time yeah so i don't know where i was in my story oh, oh how essentially I- yeah like how did you what was the factor that kept you going was it just uh, as you say stubbornness but is it just the fact that you know it's something it's an idea that you had and there's you didn't feel like you were finished you know saying what you wanted to say kind of thing or there's more that you could grow with it sure it's it's all of those things um obviously i get dark on it just because it's tough and it's like Especially when we go on like long tours, it's like pulling myself out of a mountain of debt is tough. And it's, yeah. you know, and it's, it's like not fair, you know, 
it's like everyone's worried about like I get it and it's like I'm not paying anyone fairly and like I'm still losing tons of money and it's, and it's rough um out there and with inflation especially like touring costs are just unbelievable so yeah. you know it's and it's like that sucks and sometimes I'm just like how long can I possibly keep this going to the, like a point of just like running myself into the ground and then also like demanding so much of people and like not being able to like you know, I remember the first time I even like emailed someone like before we went on tour, they were like, well, this is not union scale pay. I invite mm. you to look at it. And I was like, I was like, good thing I'm not in the union. <laughs> um, but I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, if you don't want to do it, you can just say no. Thank you. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's rough. First of all, I just think that like nobody else is really doing something like this. Could be wrong. Like, please point me in the direction of another like progressive rock big band that is like trying to tour and play consistently and release music. Um, I think stuff like this kind of exists in other places, specifically Europe, whatever. I think people like every now and then I'll see like a, a big band kind of get together that's like modern or this and that. And then, you know, like they want to like have to force myself to try something else. I don't, you know, and I, that doesn't, I don't want to sound like old and crotchety. It's just like, I'm trying to honor my artistic vision or whatever. And um, I just like doing it. And also I really love being around that many people. Like I grew up playing in orchestras and French horn players. Like I'm used to just being surrounded by like a shit ton of people all the time. Like that's very natural to me. And then like I, I did musical theater for a long time too. And it's just like, to me, everything is supposed to be like this huge spectacle. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I love going to see like rock shows and stuff like that. But it, to me, it's just like, I want it like full on, full production. I want like, it should just be, should just be like a mountain of flavor going into this show is how I feel about it. Um, and it's fun to like go around to the country and meet new people and it's like very humbling i think and i i think the people for my band like especially this last time around it was humbling for them too it's like oh shit like there are really good musicians everywhere it's like yeah <laughs> they're not, not everybody's just chilling in new york um and i, I think right. that's really important you know it's like and now in my mind it's like i have these like weird pockets of knowledge it's just like okay this is what's strong here and this is what's strong here and like I do really have connections kind of like more or less all over the U.S. now and like kind of sort of in Europe as well um and that to me is really invaluable it's like I can you know connect you it's like do you know like a viola player in Oregon I'm like yes of course I do you know whatever you know whatever it may be and it's yeah. nice. And like, I actually like make friends out of it. And like, some people really take to it. I can tell when people are not into it. That's totally fine. I, you know, like, I don't have to call them again. They don't have to say yes to me again. It's not a big deal. It's like, no one's gonna die. It's like four hours of your life. I'll see you later. You know, to me that like, that's really exciting. It's just like having this huge network and, and like seeing what other people are doing. And like, and also like, when people are into it, it's like, just fills my heart with joy. <laughs> like it sounds sarcastic, but really it's like, it's like, oh, they had a good time. Wow. Like I'm, I'm shocked. And also just like very like humbled and it's cool. It's just cool. Well, from our perspective, at least I, I'll, I'll speak from my perspective. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I was supposed to do the show in 2021, but I, I couldn't for uh, one reason yeah. or another. And that, <laughs> and then, and so I kind of, when it came around again, when you came back, um, I was like, oh, sure, I'll do it now because I was available. And I, you know, it's usually when I get a gig, it's sort of like, okay, I, I hear some music or I'll show up, be prepared, professional, et cetera, et cetera. But I, yeah, I got bit by the bug of whatever your New York chill harmonic is. And I just, I mean, I backstage, I like bombarded you and I was like, you need, you have a cellist whenever you need it in Minnesota. Like, oh, <laughs> 
But I think that is like Thank what you. is so like wonderful about like what you do, your determination, your drive to continue to do this. Because as we know that, and as you've been saying, it is hard. All this, all the music, like just doing, making your own group and organizing and touring is just like, there's so much behind that. And I just want to thank you from at least my perspective, but also, you know, say like, it is all worth it. So if you ever do go into another slump of, you know, darkness, just remember <laughs> your song mean. And then like, <laughs> oh man, thank you so much. I really, I really, you have no idea how much I appreciate hearing that. Just the fact that people want to play this music at all is always like the most surprising and wonderful thing ever. Really, it's that's it. It's so Very much fun. Like it's interesting writing. And when I first played your show in 2021, um, I think I had just gotten my COVID booster and it was the first time I had like side effects. So I was like kind of sitting on the couch feeling sorry for myself. And then Lindsay texted me and was like, hey, someone got COVID. Can you play this show? And I was just kind of like, uh, sure. Um, and so sorry, um, no. I didn't was like Yeah, that was, that was a crazy time. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't listen to anything. I didn't look at the music. I just kind of like pulled myself off the couch, put some makeup on and like went there. And in a sea of Christmas music at that time, I was just That's- like, what is this? This is great. And I was like, <laughs> I got bit by the bug too. Oh, thank you. And then I literally did. I got so sick after that show, but it's okay. I don't think anybody, I don't think I got anybody ill, hopefully. So, but thank you. I really appreciate that. I, especially that I, it's like somebody was pregnant. I can't remember who that was. And she was like, mm-hmm. I just found out I'm pregnant today. One of the string players. And I was like, okay, bye. And then like somebody else got sick. That was a crazy show. So like the people that, it was you and Sean who just like rolled up and made it happen. That was like maybe the craziest, like getting it together, like literally two hours before the show that like I've ever yeah. experienced. And Sean couldn't so, even be so there for the whole rehearsal. That was, <laughs> it was kind of chaotic, oh my but God. it was fun. It was fun. No, it's not, I, not a great, I love that show. Like it was like, wow, I have very strong memories <laughs> from that time just because <laughs> it was such a crazy time. And then the whole world shut down again. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I have a couple more questions about your writing. Do you, or I guess, how how do you think being a classically trained musician and maybe even specifically a French horn player, how do you think that's influenced your writing? I'm just like genetically programmed to hate trumpet players. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I feel like I really abuse the chops of my brass players, but I but I love like really rich brass writing. So I think I'm always thinking about it from like, you know, who knows? I, I, I'm sure if like a trumpet player had a big band, like they'd be writing like really prominent trumpet parts probably or whatever that is. Um, and it's like, I'm probably thinking about things like sonically in a specific range that other people like French horns instead of trumpets. And it was kind of the shit. Like, I would love to incorporate that somehow. I'm just not sure how I could do it. Um, and French horn players are hard to pin down <laughs> in the city. But um, I, I think just like having an awareness about brass playing and writing in general. Um, and I, I also had to learn a lot of things, just like what, you know, it's like you can't write like minor seconds in the trombone, Sarah. Like, it doesn't sound really good or whatever just like it was you know like trial by error like over time like what makes sense with voice leading and writing parts and stuff like that um yeah but I I don't know if it if, it, if I approach things differently because of that I, I think I might but I also think that like I 
to me, like an orchestra is all about just like having a wall of sound and like really creating something that sort of like uplifts like the, the higher frequency wind players or strings or whatever that is. So it's like, I really love just like, I just want to feel like people are being like dipped into something. Does that make sense? Like, that's what I totally. visualize in my, like the same thing with like high viscosity. It's like you're being dipped into like dark blue paint. Like that's what I think about when I write music. Woo, wine on an empty stomach. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like, what am I saying? Uh, yeah, so it's like, I want things to feel like really rich when I write stuff. And I think that's probably just from like playing in an orchestra. It's like, you're just surrounded. It's like a wall of sound. That's how I want the listener to feel as well. It's just like, it's it's holding you, yeah. <laughs> whatever. It oh. is mm-hmm. like a unique experience to be inside an orchestra. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably what you're trying mm-hmm. to show with to the audience is to give that that sensation. Yeah, it's unlike anything else. It is. Yeah, I feel bad people that haven't experienced it. It's just like, how do you, like being a part of something that is just like so much bigger than you. It's like, oh my God, very overwhelming, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 So I am in the middle of a personal project and maybe it's good Mm. that you're you're drinking wine for this request (laughs) slash question. Would you consider writing for unaccompanied violin? Oh my God. I don't know if I would be good enough, but yeah, I would love to try it. Yeah, sure. Ooh, that would be fun. Okay. Just solo violin. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I Holy shit. I don't know if I would do it justice, but like, I would love to take a stab at it for sure. Cool. We'll talk. Mm-hmm. We'll talk later. Is there a better term for classical music? I have been really struggling with this because like my favorites are like, the romantic composers but like I don't say I play romantic music you know totally um I've been having this discussion a lot about world music which is a totally oh. different topic oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, don't get me started <laughs> yeah. you triggered me <laughs> so pressure uh, yeah, also like, triggered by it I'm like sorry like in Rick and Morty like I don't know if you watch that show but one of them like Jerry gets picked up in a simulator and they're like playing the radio and like human music and he's like wow I love this and like that's and it's just like bleeps and bloops and to me in my mind it's like white people were like oh my god world music it's just like anything that is right from and you're just like oh yeah 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 it's like i want to scrape it off my tongue um yes so classical music that's a good question i don't know i feel like any other thought that i would have about it would also just be like kind of offensive in a way i'm not really sure it's like why is it classical? It's like, how did we even get that term in the first place? I actually don't know mm-hmm. if, like, I have never researched it. It's like, what the hell does that mean? Classical. Yeah, I guess I don't know either. Or um, why that was picked. Yeah, why, you know, it's, and you can't really call it original music because there was definitely music happening before that, whether, you know, it's just not, however it was documented or not documented. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that's interesting i haven't thought about that i've been like really on the world music tip recently so now I'm, I mean, this is gonna in- <laughs> sorry to add mind. to the pile <laughs> no 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 it's fine it's just it's a really good question it's just like jesus or you know it's like the whole discussion with jazz and how it should be black american music you know with and stuff like that which i a- agree with it's you know it's like but how do you change like this the vernacular of people who like use this word just it's it's the my god this can be applied to so many things obviously pronouns my god jesus christ um right yeah it's 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 a much much bigger conversation but i've honestly never thought about it just because classical you know it's like you think about classical music and it's like 
I think if you're not a classical musician, you automatically have this, whatever your perspective of is it, like, and how it like relates to your life and how, you know, and how it relates to like your relationship with it, if you even have one. Um, but you can say that about every genre, I suppose. That is a complicated mm -hmm. question. Have the answer for it <laughs> sorry i mean that's fair just kind of mm -hmm. sprung it on you i know you have a lot of words to describe your genre <laughs> like progressive rock jazz did yeah. i catch everything for, i definitely think progressive rock is like probably the most all-encompassing term and i don't have a problem with it if people want to use it i'm like nice but you know there are <laughs> there are uh moments of classical music kind of sorta and there are some jazzy moments and there's not a ton of improvisation. I really like don't, I'm really all about that through composed lifestyle. Um, and some pop, some, you know, whatever. It's like, whatever you want to, like at this point, I think all music is kind of fusion, but it's like, how do we find a better term for the word fusion? You know what I mean? It's like, because that also like leads to certain connotations depending because at one point it meant something very specific. And now it just means like literally the fusing of. I was also wondering, do you think you should be defined by a genre I don't know I think in the like the sales sense depends on the audience you know I think it's I think like imagery and video can sell anything better than a description ever would be able to you know it's like if someone wants to define something by words like that's fine and great but like someone else could see it and be like oh it's not that at all so you know and like that's why I'm grateful for stuff like social media and like other marketing initiatives that you can take in order to sell yourself because it's like you can say one thing but it and that means something entirely different than what it actually is. So it's like the most important thing you can do is have like visual aid and like, you know, sonic aid in order to enlighten people. Yeah, ideally nobody would be defined by like one specific genre. It changes all the time. Our interests change all the time. It's like, but I don't mind it. I think for a long time I, when I was looking for my sound, quote unquote, it was you know, it was like easy to be offended by stuff. We'd be like, oh, it's like modern jazz. I'm like, oh my God, it is not modern jazz, you know? And I think even now and then if people see, if they just see a picture of it and they see a woman and it's like I'm meeting like an interviewer for the first time, they're like, oh my God, you must love Maria Schneider. It's just like, oh my God, why? Because she's like a woman with a big band. Like, that's crazy. Um, you know, and it's like, then they're obviously just like, they haven't done the research, but um yeah, it's like the best thing someone can see is a video. And then it's like, I would love for someone to just watch a video and then like tell me what they think. That's far more interesting hmm. than me trying to tell you what I think it is. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more classically influenced question. Um, so I just had a very long discussion with some other violinists about this very short phrase in the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. It's like four measures and the first two measures are exactly the same material repeated. And we were talking about how can we make them different, like with different shifts or playing on different strings. And then we get into composer's intent. And I was just wondering, like when you choose to repeat something, either in like if a chorus is going to be exactly the same um, or even within a phrase, like you use the same melodic line twice in a row. Mm -hmm how much are you thinking about people interpreting it in a different way? Ooh, maybe not enough. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, if I really feel like something needs to be repeated, it's because it's like, maybe I'm a little bit obsessed with it and it's like, I'm not over it yet. And I think, you know, especially with like the music that I listen to, it's like, 
I feel like I listen to a lot of stuff like maybe like post rock and indie rock and like even you know progressive rock sometimes um, where it's just like the same idea gets like repeated over and over and over again and to me it's kind of like if nothing else is changing in the arrangement maybe just like aside from like dynamics and intensity or whatever or articulation um it's like almost a meditative practice or something it's like it's like this is where my mind was and it's like i'm stuck on this loop and it's like i need you to stay stuck with me for a minute to, to like mm. hammer in how important like this idea was or this thought was whether it like has lyrics or not or whatever it was like it's you know it's in order to like build emotion it's like why else do we make music you know in order to like evoke a specific feeling um and you know sometimes if i have it really depends on the idea it's like if i'm trying to get from like let's say I just like haven't really bridged the gap from like idea A to idea B. It's like, all right, how do I write something that like makes sense to like combine these two ideas? And like, how do I like build interest <laughs> between these two ideas? It's like, how do I marry them in the middle? Um, or if sometimes I think I've definitely been guilty of if I feel like an idea is weak, like having like harmonic shifts or like rhythmic shifts underneath it in order to like propel it to something better. Or, you know, it's like just because I think that it fits there and it's like, even though it's not my strongest like writing idea, like I still need to like help it be better, you know? Um, and I think like so much of that can be fixed with just like playing with dynamics, playing with like, <laughs> just like how you play something can totally change like whether it's a good idea or maybe a not so good idea. Can I actually just... ask another follow-up? So mm -hmm. Asia was sort of talking about in in the classical music sense of if, if a phrase is repeated twice, um, where we as performers are sort of instructed to interpret them not identical, but to vary it mm -hmm. somehow, even if it's same content. But as you were sort of talking about it, I started reminiscing because every now and then, uh, honest to uh, honestly, this gets stuck in my head. Actually, since your show, the groove that you do, I think it's in mean. It's bum 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 bum. bum, bum, bum. in my head all the time and i was thinking about how that differs to you as like if you create a groove and let it set and go versus like you know maybe saying a lyric twice in a row or something like that oh um it depends and especially because that little groove is sort of like even though that was the first thing that i heard and it's like the first thing of the song it's sort of like it like it's sort of it's like bookends now a little bit it's like oh here's you already know what's coming after this. It's the lyric. It's that group in seven that immediately follows it or whatever. It's like, mm -hmm. it's sort of like a signal, like, oh, here we go into this section now. Um, and then, yeah. And I think for me, it's like it, that specific thing should build with intensity. It's like, here's the first time that you hear it. And it's like, it's it, you interpret it however you want to interpret it because it's the first thing that you're hearing. And then you hear it again. And it's like, it's a reminder. It's a callback to the first thing, but it's like, it's more intense now because it's like, you're familiar with it. The musicians are also familiar with it. It doesn't matter how many times you practice it. Like the first time you play something is the first time you play something, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then like you hear it at the end and it's like, you you already know that it's gonna come back kind of. It's like the rule of three. Um, and I think 
you know, I think it's mostly just like the the intensity and also like the comfortability with it, maybe. Right. And so, you know, yeah, like having it's like the musicians are also more comfortable with it now. So it's like they're going to be more willing to like take risks with like, I don't know, articulation and dynamics and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of it's like it's this anticipation of like we already know it's going to grow, whether or not I like even really write that in the music like it's it's going to naturally occur throughout the song. Yeah. I went in a whole other plane when you were saying that in that, um, again, I'm always relating it back to your lyrics and mean and how what I thought was interesting is that you're saying everything gets compounded the number of times you repeat it. And even if it transitions from one section to the next section, it just it, it kind of is this steamroll effect and um, mm-hmm. growing effect of like this tension of why are you so mean to yourself? But then you, at the end, you said there's like a comfortability with it, which I thought was also kind of a unique take on well, we always we always have the inner critic and we have to find some inner peace with it at the same time and jive with it. Am I totally. am I, being, am I reading too far into it? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you're totally I think you're totally right. And it's like I I love outside interpretations because sometimes I just write stuff and it's like it means nothing. But then like eventually I realize that it does mean something else entirely to me or it changes. It means something different, whatever. But I think I think you're right. Like it is compounded and it also was sort of like a nod to like repetitive behavior in a sense. It's like mm-hmm like oh it's like i'm trying to adapt but it's like that song does come full circle yeah. <laughs> to like where it started right. you know but it's like but it's still it's still played totally differently you know it, to me it's like the concept of like sight reading it's like especially like if you're in an orchestra it's like the first time you play something is like you're sight reading the second time you play it you're not sight reading anymore not technically you're just like catching the things that you didn't catch the first time right. and it's like, it just kind of keeps going and that's how i feel about like just playing live in general it doesn't matter how many times you've played it in the past it's like you're playing it for the first time now on this gig. And then like, if you're playing that theme later again or whatever, or a reprise like in like an orchestral suite or something like that, it's like, you're thinking about it differently. It's like, it's it's in you and it's familiar to you, but it's still like the way that you feel about it, the way that it's internalized in your fingers or your mouth or whatever it is. It's like something entirely it's different. Something's it's changed. changed. It's like, there's nothing, you can't explain it. It's like, it has changed because you know it, but it's like, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like you're, every time you play something, it's different, mm-hmm. but also the same. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I hope that answers it. I feel like we could like go off on this tangent for like a million years about. Oh, about for all. sure. Yeah. Um. So actually it was my dad who was a huge fan of yours um, oh, who pointed out that mean is about you being mean to yourself. And that was kind of like a light bulb moment for Patty and I, because honestly, I just listened to the groove. <laughs> like, yeah, let's be it, honest. It, it, I thought that it was about a, I mean, I didn't, I, at the time when I was <laughs> reading your music, I didn't look so closely at your lyrics either. Um, and I just thought, I assumed it was someone was being mean to you rather than mm-hmm. an internal struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah. The music video is like me voodoo dolling myself. <laughs> Which I didn't, under, I saw it before going to your show and I was like, what's happening? <laughs> like, literally, I didn't I'm, put the two together. Oh, it's like bad star and good star. I'm like doing right. voodoo doll stuff. And then right. I like realize in the end that like, that's what's happening, but it's too late. Cause I right. threw it in the fire. It's kind of a complicated yeah. <laughs> symbol. Yeah. yeah. Very self-indulgent, um, but yeah. So what often comes for you first, the lyrics or the, like the music? Literally never the lyrics, unless I force it, like never. Um, that one of the songs you played recently, I think it's dark. I wrote those lyrics first. And then I was like trying to, I had like 10 false starts with that, like trying to place those lyrics somewhere. And I don't even know if I love where they landed, but I do really like that song. I think they're very like disparate ideas, but somehow they live together. 
Um, it's always, it's usually, I'll hear a groove every, like very rarely, like I'll hear, and it's usually like once I hear the groove, I hear the harmony with it, but it's like those, the, the musical idea, musical, it's all musical, what am I saying? Um, yeah, like it, I, I approach everything like instrumentally and it's sort of like, it's all just layering stuff forever and ever and like finding how that goes together. And then in the end, I'm like, I guess I have to write some lyrics. What is this song about? <laughs> you know? Is there a song that you're like really particularly proud of? I think the one that's about to come out, honestly, I'm really, really excited about just because if I had things my way, I would just, I would have an orchestra. It would be like Cirque du Soleil, like, let's go, you know, like it would just be full blown spectacle, like, like pyrotechnics, just ridiculous. It's like, just to get my point across. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Like, just, uh, I have like desperate need for attention or what, but yeah, no, I think, and like, that was like, I remember the first time, like I went to, I have a friend that like is he does orchestrating and arranging and all this stuff and he kind of had the hookup like with this orchestra in Prague that does stuff and he like they sell time by the hour and he's like do you want to buy an hour and I was like fuck it I'll buy an hour and basically you just like go in there you're not even like in the room where they're recording you're just like in this booth with like a translator and like a bunch of other people you give them all of your notes beforehand and then they're just like go and then they, they literally start a timer and it's like the orchestra just like you know, so she's like telling them it's so like, I remember we did when we did this song, she's like giving them notes about it. And I could just see like the orchestra giggling. She's like talking to them in check. And I was like, I know that they think I'm full of shit, um, which is fine, <laughs> whatever. And yeah. And then it was just like, you know, the first time I played through some stuff, it was like not sounding like so, so amazing. You know, there were certain things. It's like, how do you explain that to that or whatever? Like maybe some enharmonic issues like on my end. Um, and, and then it really took off and it was just like super overwhelming because like hearing your stuff fleshed out with that many people is like, oh my God, it's like six horns and like oboes and bassoons. And there's like a freaking harp and like wind chimes and like a million strings and it just sounds so fat and rich, which is like everything that I love. Um, and then I like was terrified. I like couldn't open up the session for like nine or 10 months. I was like, I can't listen to this. Like yeah. I just, I can't do it. And we had already recorded like the big band portion of it. This was like, this was almost two years ago now. It's like October, 2021. So I had that, we also recorded with the choir, some of which got cut out, but it was, you know, it's like a very ambitious project overall. And yeah, and then I just remember like, we finally like opened everything together. And of course it was like kind of a nightmare, like trying to find like what fits and what doesn't fit. You're not even totally sure of what your vision is. And I think when that happens, it kind of like bleeds into all the other people that are working with you and it can be detrimental to the process so i think um you know with others like with mean that was like a covid thing like everyone recorded separately in their homes so that was like also tons and tons of editing but we had the time so we kind of just like sat on it and like if we could do it again in a studio it probably sound a million times better honestly not because people have like bad performances but it's like everyone's like i have an at-home setup and you're like okay and some people really do and some people are like in their toilet with like a mic in the kitchen and they're like here it is and it's not their fault. It's just like yeah. every, you know, it's like you don't really like you don't know what you're going to get back. So it's like to piece through all of that and like make it work is really hard. If you're in a studio, it's like a controlled environment, obviously. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud that like we got that done and I thought we would do more, but it's just like so much work. Um, and we did. We did. I don't even want it, which is like a fun little dancey track. But I think, you know, even for that, it was like a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I was like, we're going to do an electronic track. And it's like, that's just not what naturally comes out of me. So not to say I'm not proud of it. It's a fun song. But with this one, it was like, I knew what I wanted. 
I think everybody else like got it right away as like people who were mixing it you know even the people who like made the guy who made like the single art it was like everyone just like was fucking on the exact same page and it totally came together and so it had just like took on a life of its own so if it doesn't do well that sucks because I really love it but um I think it's definitely like the best thing that I have done with other people collectively that's so cool yeah I, I cannot wait to hear it yeah I hope you guys like if you're like this sucks I'll be like all right what's, I'm full of shit like no what's the song <laughs> called I don't know if you've ever, ever said the title to covet a quiet mind oh to covet a quiet mind I gotcha okay yeah that yeah. song yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which yeah. I've like kind of been teasing online like people know if they know but I haven't really like, given it away yet so but soon it gets mastered tomorrow it's crazy yeah that's so exciting is there a song that you get that you like have to play that you wrote that you just are really finished with like you'd love to never play it again all of them no I'm just kidding um <laughs> no I think we get a lot of requests for like the first song I ever wrote for this project which is called Aubergine and like it's cute it's got that silly little synth like basically what prompted that is like I bought that synth from a German techno DJ and he had all the presets like built in already and I was like I'm gonna write a song and that was like the first synth that came on and that was it and people will always ask about it and I just don't want to play it anymore the arrangement is very bad I'm just gonna be honest like it's not clear I would say like I don't even know which charts are accurate anymore so it's like I'm terrified to even like I would have to just go through it and like fix it and then like you know export the real charts and I just I don't want to right. <laughs> so you know That's it's like I could, yeah it's like we'd all be on the same page but it's like I don't really you know and it's funny I like that people like it I think that's really sweet I just don't I'm all for like playing older songs if they're like really really big hits but like I'm not tool nobody cares you know <laughs> like you can just do whatever um didn't you say that you wrote that song drunk at an airport or was that a different one that was a different one. Wow. Okay. Well, for, for I'm drunk, first of all. No, I'm just kidding. I have not. But um, I wrote, oh, Nightshades. I wrote Trunk. That's right. And that was That's like, I have a song too. Yeah. Thank you. I love that song. I'm excited. We haven't recorded it yet, but I would, I would like to. Um, <clears throat> Minnesota. Just kidding. <laughs> I know. I was talking to um, Jake and he really wanted me to like, after the first time we were out there, he was like, just come to Minnesota. I'm like, we'll make an album. And I was like, oh my God, yes. And then. She got, and then it was like fucking COVID forever. And then um, I don't even know what happened after that. But yeah, I would. Probably slightly more affordable recording spaces. I don't know. <laughs> um, Probably more affordable than New York. <laughs> no way. Yeah, maybe. Um, no, I would love to record like an EP in every city that I've ever toured. That would be ridiculous. And also oh, that would be <laughs> really cool. Cool and unnecessary. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, um, anyway, but to back to that song I do like that song and I have a couple songs that are just like oneers and I don't know how that happens mean is one of them mean was like I wrote that in a night just like just had to and then same with nightshades it was just like same thing and I think and dark the new one that we have that I was talking about wrote the lyrics for first just like I think if I know I'm going on tour and I'm like I have to get shit done it's like there's something in me that's like even if I give myself a certain amount of time I'm not oh hello Sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, that's the first sushi knockdown of the podcast. <laughs> Didn't take long. Nope. <laughs> she really wants to sit with me today for some reason. So she's all over oh. the place here. But um, yeah, forgive me. That's okay. Very sweet. All right. So we've already gotten a little bit of a teaser of this new song that 
when we're recording is going to come out. But by the time this is released, it probably will have already been out in the world and people will have loved it. Let's hear a little bit more about that super big recording project. So, okay. So it was, it originally started with um, the drummer in my group has this project with one of his really good friends who's in Nashville, who is like, so basically what it usually entails is like musicians from Nashville and musicians from New York, either in one of those two places recording stuff. <clears throat> so we did it here. And honestly, the only Nashville connection was the guy who runs it. He played piano on the track, but um, yeah, it was fun. So I took the whole day and we did, I originally just wanted it to be like big band plus choir um, which it eventually will be. We did three tracks that day and to cover a quiet mind was one of them. And then, um, then I had gotten the call from my friend, Joe, who lives overseas. And he asked me if I wanted to buy an hour of time to record with this Prague orchestra. And like, it's funny, they sent me like this little like fee sheet and it's like, how many musicians do you want? And it's like 80 musicians, 60 musicians, 40 musicians. And it gives you like, you know, the different types of like auxiliary percussion. It's so funny. And you're just like, it's, like picking things out on a menu. Um, Fun. so I picked, so I like picked the 60 piece one and then I added like an like harp and stuff like that. Um, and then we I worked on the arrangements, which I did. I actually arranged two songs, um, but Mean was already up. So Mean is arranged for orchestra. Maybe we'll record it someday. I have no idea. Um, and then I realized, you know, Mean is already released. So we decided to just focus on the one. But I sent two just to be safe. I was like, we have time. He's like, we're not going to get to two songs in an hour. Um, he was right. So we... Yeah, I got there and it was just like, I had no idea what to expect. Like this place in Prague, I walked to like this building and I walked in, it was like a construction site on the first floor. And I was like, is this going to be bullshit? Like, I swear to God. And walked upstairs, like this huge building, walked upstairs. And then like, I finally reached this, like this landing and went inside and it was like, clearly like just a huge recording studio. I guess they record like a lot of like film score stuff there, you know, on the cheap or something and walked in and there was like a waiting room. And then I like went in to, yeah, I had to like wait for them to finish what they were doing and then they took like a quick break went in and there was like the recording booth and like I looked out and it was like this huge I can send you the picture if you want to like add it in here um yeah. like like the huge studio it's on my it's like one of the first pictures on my Instagram actually and just like a sound stage basically for recording orchestra and I was like oh holy shit this is like legit as fuck oh my god and um I like went in there and like saw it before they got back into their seats and then you just like watch it we have it we have film footage of it which I'll include it's a little boring but like it'll be in there um yeah and that was it so then it's just like the translator translates what's happening to the orchestra and then they like play through stuff and like you do the best you can I remember it was like we had so I sent them you know like the stems of the rhythm section to listen to and then obviously like you have to send them a click and all this stuff <laughs> yeah it was yeah it was good and then that was it then they just he like sent me all the files and it was so overwhelming I was like I can't even process this and at the time the guy who does all of the mixing for me now I don't even think I was working with him yet so it was like so I like unintentionally just waited and then like met this person who now does like all the mixes for the things that we do and he's amazing um and we worked on it like we edited forever and then he mixed and it was just like a very long process and now here we are can we hear a little bit of it? I'm just going to start from the top. Keep it simple. Is that cool? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
love this song um mainly because of how you introduced it in <laughs> in the show in 2021 um you said something like i never write songs about boys because who cares <laughs> and this is one that you did and it's because you broke up and it was the best and yeah. just the to covet a quiet mind um I, at the time it was just so relatable i actually ended up breaking up with my boyfriend like a few weeks after that show and like that was kind of the first time that like like I knew I was unhappy but hearing you introduce that song in that way and then playing the song I was like I I think this is what I need <laughs> I need to break up and it's gonna be the best it was hard it was hard too yeah. but it, it like yeah so thank you for sharing like just being so open and vulnerable about all of that and yeah you're changing oh, lives, Sarah, with every show. Oh, I don't know about that. But no, thank you for also being open and vulnerable. And I'm, I'm glad that like that was the takeaway that you had was to leave <laughs> your boyfriend. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so I don't even think I knew that I wrote this song about him at the time. Like I wrote this, mm -hmm. this song many years ago and I was like living with him and he was much older and just kind of like a, an alcoholic psychopath um may he live on happily I have no idea anyway so <laughs> yeah and I think like I just the lyrics were so specific and I remember people making comments about that and like I wasn't really I hadn't really fully realized it yet which like goes back with what I said before it's like sometimes I write something and like I don't really think it means anything and then I realized later oh wow that like that was like I was troubled um <laughs> I was deeply troubled <laughs> and I think I was it was like i I was very unhappy, but you know, again, I was like 25 and like felt like I had a lot to prove and, you know, didn't, you know, I just like didn't really have like my shit together in any way and wanted people to like take me seriously. And it was like, I was just afraid to like let go of any part of my life that would make me seem unstable. Right. And it was just like, if I could just go back in time and be like, nobody cares, first of all, who you're dating. Second of all, like it's so much more than just like, you know things that people see on the internet or like whatever like having a job for the sake of having a job it's like personal happiness anyway um yeah so and then like reflecting back I was like holy shit like I just was so ready to be out and I didn't know how to be out yet um and I think there were probably some other songs from that time as well but this one was the one that conveyed that the most and I think just the overarching like sonic landscape of it in general also like lended itself to this like feeling of I don't know, like this huge build up into like something different, especially with like the, the you know, the actual literal speed up in the song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. have to ask you about this 
Mm. What is it with you and bats? Oh, I don't know. I just think they're really cute. I think they're bad rat. <laughs> I mean, um, that's, yeah, that's a good enough reason. That's like pretty much it. I think if I could redo my entire life, I would just like, you know, be a zoologist and like move to Australia and live with all the animals probably. Like I, you know, sometimes I'm like, I did everything wrong. <laughs> like, why don't I just like work with animals? But yeah, I just, I think they're really cool. Also, they're the sole pollinators of the agave plant. So you can thank them for all of your tequila. Oh, uh, thank you, bats. Thank you, bats. Yeah. I, and they're very important pollinators. And also like they use like sonar to get it like that's cool as shit. Um, I don't know. I just think they're cool. They're like, I don't know why people are so creeped out by them. It doesn't really make any sense to me. It's like you live in a world with spiders, but like you're worried about bats. Like what's wrong? Oh. With you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about bats, but I am worried about spiders. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, how can you be afraid of bats when like there are so many more disgusting things to be afraid of? Like spiders, sorry to say. Yeah. <laughs> um i'm trying to like, get over the spider fear but it's not really working I'm yeah they just like trying oh blah. yes <laughs> um no they're i don't know they're cool like some of them are really like little fruit bats like they call them like sky puppies like the flying foxes like they literally just look like dogs and but they have wings and they're also like bats are technically birds like they're in that people are so worried about them probably because of that movie contagion but whatever yeah well and like rabies Oh, there is rabies, yes, but I mean, <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. But like, also <laughs> and raccoons and stuff. People keep those as pets. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. It's fine. Everything. <laughs> so before we let you go, I wanted to ask, where can people find you, and what is coming up next for you? You can find me on OnlyFans. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wiki feet. No. Um, uh, you can find the New York Philharmonic at NY. It's it's like the Philharmonic. I'm trying. I've been trying to troll them for a, a million years. Um, it's just NY, and then the word chill harmonic. You can probably spell that phonetically. And then there's, and then me on Instagram as well. It's just at Sarah M C D S Sarah with no H. And yeah, the New York Philharmonic on Facebook, whatever Spotify, you'll find it. Great, and it'll be in the show notes. Nice and. What's coming up for you in the New York Chill Harmonic? We have the single release on April 21st. That's the day the single will come out. And then we also have a show in the city. We have a show upstate after that. We're playing the New York Botanical Gardens Uncorked series or something. That's just like wine and flowers, which is very on brand. Oh, yeah. And very excited. Um, and then we have a very long tour in June. And by very long, I mean like a week. It's long in big band world. And um that has yet to be announced. And then we have a tour in the fall as well. But I'll keep you all posted. Awesome. Yeah, good luck with everything that is upcoming for you. I really, I think we both wish you the best of everything and the best of luck and best of success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. This was like so much fun. <laughs> I could talk to you, both of you forever, it seems. Um, thanks really? for taking the time out of your busy schedules to like chat with me and drink. At inappropriate time <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll say in podcast time it's appropriate in podcast for sure for sure yeah well thank you so much too for taking the time to talk to us um yeah like i said earlier it's always like in out play some music and it's been really nice to get to know a little bit more of the behind the scenes and in the mind oh thank you yeah it's you know uh, thanks for sharing some insightful things as well from your perspective i really appreciate that Cool. Well, cheers. Cheers. Do I need a clink again? 
<laughs> I put them away. I can clean oh, again. That's fine. I'll edit it in. Oh. It. Nope, that didn't work. <laughs> 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 that's a bump. That's Love it. On the next Pour Me a Mozart, we'll hear from Chicago-based composer Paul Novak. This sort of split um, between like playing popular music and playing classical music, it's still something that very much informs the music that I make today. Um, and I think also the, uh, the experience of learning to play popular music entirely by ear in this very sort of collaborative way where we're all kind of teaching each other things, I think that's still a really important part of my music making today as well. Uh, what was so interesting is that um, even though these were tiny little pieces, they were between like one and two minutes usually, really miniatures, so many of them ended up becoming the blueprints of pieces that I've written in the last couple of years. And this solo violin piece um, became the blueprint for, uh, or in, in many ways at least, became the blueprint for the string quartet that Patty has played of mine called A String Quartet is Like a Flock of Birds. And actually the, the same thing has happened with other pieces that I, that I wrote.